The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to another live edition of What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley. With me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He is a traditional Catholic priest, member of the Society of St. Pius V, and he is also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you tonight? Very fine, Tom. Thank you. And yourself? Just the same, Father. Yeah. Good great. to see you. Yes, great to be back again, Father. I know you uh, wanted to begin by asking for some prayers tonight. Yes, I do, indeed. I ask people to continue to pray, please, for uh, Monica Lichter, right? And uh, for young uh, Jude Mueller and uh, really a number of other good souls, Joe Percher. As I say, it'd be impossible to list everyone, Ruth Ann Bolte. And there are literally thousands of those who have asked for prayers through the Immaculate Heart of Mary uh, prayer request line. And uh, the reason why we have all this request is because people know we pray. So we, should, we won't disappoint them. We won't disappoint our Lord. We'll pray for them out of uh, a spirit of charity and mercy. And uh, our Lord says that's what's necessary to receive mercy. So uh, we pray very confidently and for the mercy of God. For all these good people, please continue to pray for the deceased, too. And uh, I have a special intention that I would ask people to pray for today. I can't necessarily name the individual because he doesn't want to be named, but... Uh, the prayers are needed and much appreciated, and I'm sure will be very efficacious, so uh, please keep a special attention to your prayers. Okay, absolutely. Uh, I would say uh, pray for Padre Nessuno, okay? Okay, thank you. For the Italians out there, Padre Nessuno, they would probably catch that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, Father, I know uh, you wanted to begin the program tonight with some current events that... Uh, uh, that have been in the news lately. There's been the uh, World Economic Forum uh, taking place. I know you wanted to comment on that, and I know you uh, had a couple other items as well that you wanted to discuss tonight, Father, so I can... Well, yes, Tom, thanks. Without going too much into detail, I think perhaps following up on uh, a few things. Then I know you have uh, an email or two you wanted to respond to. Uh, anyway, maybe I can cover some of that, too, even as we're talking here about... But I, I thought it was rather in interesting, even charming, that... Uh, we read uh, in the uh, Axios, kind of the AXIOS uh, website, um, Davos welcomes Brazil's Bolsonaro with open arms. Uh, you know what Davos is, right? Mm -hmm. The meeting of the billionaires and all of the uh, world, uh, one world globalist people in Switzerland. And uh, they're there to decide what they're going to do to us all and how they're going to. Uh, create a world for us all to live in as their guests or their prisoners. And uh, it ran from the May 22nd to May 28th this year, right? And I, I thought this, this one title was charming here. Davos welcomes Brazil's Bolsonaro with open arms. They were delighted, they said, to have uh, uh, the leader of Brazil, the president of Brazil, Bolsonaro. Of course, you know, he's, he's known to be very anti-socialist, anti-communist, and um, what we would call conservative, right, uh, politically. And at the end of it all, um, 
Bolsonaro refused to sign the treaty uh, with the World Health Organization. He refused to betray his country and to the power of the World Health Organization, a, United, a branch, branch of the United Nations. Right? <clears throat> and uh, the result of that, okay, that defiance, um, we talked about the World Health Organization last, we talked about the treaty, we talked about the proposals of the Biden uh, regime for changing the treaty to give the WHO more power over the United States, in fact, lockdown power of the, of the entire United States of America, and Korea calling a national emergency here in America because of whatever pandemic they want to uh, declare. And uh, I was asking the question, why is this not treason to, to actually betray the country into the power of this international uh, cabal? Uh, no one has contacted us to explain why this is not treason, so I, I still ask the question. But because uh, President Bolsonaro of uh, Brazil refused to sign his country's sovereignty over to the World Health Organization, Klaus Schwab, the, uh, the dictator or would-be dictator of the world, <clears throat> uh, issued a threat, an actual threat to the Brazilian president for refusing to sign the WHO pandemic treaty. So, uh, you know, all, this just bolsters what I was asking last week. Why is this not treason? If Klaus Schwab, who is the founder and director of the World Economic Forum, is working so hand-in-glove with the World Health Organization, which, by the way, just elected China now to its governing board. China, after the pandemic, after the COVID virus, China uh, developing the virus, uh, spreading it throughout the world, locking down its own people. Uh, and uh, they, now they chose to elect them to the board. I guess that's how they earn membership on the uh, directing board of the, uh, of the World Health Organization, by doing such things, you know, showing that they can create and uh, and um, manage a pandemic, you know, and all of the all of the misery uh, that attends it. But anyway, it, it, I thought it was very interesting. This is what Klaus Schwab said in reference um, to um, Bolsonaro's refusal to sign up Brazil and its people with the World Health Organization pandemic treaty. He said, "Let's be clear: the future is not just happening." The future is built by us, a powerful community, you, here in this room. He's, he's referring to all those gathered there in Davos for this uh, World Economic Forum here. We have the means to impose this state of the future on the world. So there you are. I mean, what could be more blatant than that? We have the means to impose this state of the future on the world. Okay, uh, I mean, this makes Hitler, Pol Pot, Stalin look like choir boys. You know? Who is this Schwab? Who is this guy? Right? I thought it was rather odd that a German would be standing up, of all people, a German, after you know, all of the focus on Hitler and the, the Nazis and all the rest. Um, but, you know... Uh, Jewish Chicago is, is, is saying that this uh, name of Schwab goes back to an Ashkenazi Jewish name. Now, I don't know about that. So maybe 
maybe it isn't a, a German, an actual full-blood German who is, uh, I, I just don't know. I understand his family's from uh, Switzerland. But it'd be interesting to do a, a study of where he came from. Um, you know, people have been asking where Vladimir Putin came from, what his forebears are, and I think it's equally important to know well, where does this Klaus Schwab come from, who is now wanting to impose his vision on the entire world and on every man, woman, and child living in it, or every man, woman, and child allowed to live in it. So I thought that was kind of uh, quaint, anyway, that uh, they welcomed Bolsonaro with open arms and then wound up uh, threatening him, <laughs> you know, that you'd better get in line or you're going to be in big trouble because we can impose this on you. Uh, another thing that has come up is, of course, gas prices. People are suffering greatly because of the gasoline prices. And, uh, of course, we all, uh, you know, are told that uh, President Biden is against the terrible inflation going on. But there are those who are seeing right through that and understand that this is all part of the program. This is all part of the, uh, uh, the, green, the greening of America or the greening of the world, right? What do they call it? What do they call it? The green, uh, green New Deal. Green New Deal, right. They're intending to impose this on us, and we knew it was going to be very expensive, costing trillions of dollars, and who knows how many lives. But uh, President Biden is uh, one of those. He's being used, basically, I think, to, uh, to implement the, this great this, this plan of destruction. And uh, so there are those who are actually talking about uh, the words that Biden used for the, the incredible transition. And uh, the point that they're making is that uh, uh, Biden actually is, is, well, it's hard to say that he's pursuing these things uh, because he's apparently along for the ride. He's basically the, um, the mouthpiece, right? Essentially, he's the mouthpiece. And... And I wouldn't say he's necessarily a very effective mouthpiece, but uh, insofar as there are those who actually think that he is governing as a president of the United States, uh, not representing, um, you know, occult powers behind him, um, they can they can you know be enlisted to, to do what he commands, and um, he's it's very clear that he's pushing uh, the entire world, notably the United States of America. Uh, to detach itself from fossil fuel, fuels, and uh, I almost said fossil fools, <laughs> fossil fuels, uh, and this uh, war in Ukraine is part of that, to so um, restrict the, the supply of, of uh, gasoline uh, to Europe and even to uh, shutting down the pipeline here in America. First thing he did, actually, uh, after the, the so-called election of 2020, um, shut down that pipeline, right? At the same time, supporting Russia's pipeline. Isn't that odd? Um, and now kind of restricting that flow here. The, so the gas and oil from Russia is now flowing to China, okay? Um, in any case, uh, it's all part of the plan. It's part of the plan to break uh, the fossil fuel uh, business here in uh, in our dependence on it. He's going to break us of that by pricing it out of out of reach. Um, by the way, so we can return for a moment then to World Economic Forum. Uh, one of the measures of the World Economic Forum, Forum is to get us to eat seaweed, algae, algae, cactus, 
and also to get us to eat bugs, okay? And a couple of news items which I thought were, were kind of interesting. Uh, coming out of the World Economic Forum, uh, we find that, that the, the uh, luminaries of the World Economic Forum are urging all of us now to eat seaweed, algae, or algae, and cacti, okay, to save the planet. Uh, because these are naturally growing things, we don't have to, uh, uh, they, they leave a little, very small carbon footprint, let's put it that way. So if we can just stop eating beef and, you know, wheat and things like that, that um, people would consider real food, um, we, we should divert now and learn how to eat seaweed, algae, and cacti. Now, what do you think the people at the World Economic Forum were eating? Do you think they were being served heaving mounds of, of steaming algae? Do you think they were being served plates of, of, of um, seaweed? I doubt it. I doubt it, seriously. It'd be interesting to know what the menu was over there. But they're coming out and telling everybody else in the world they have to eat, eat uh, seaweed and cactus in order to save the planet. But it's not only seaweed and cactus. This is not all. The only thing on Klaus Schwab's menu for everybody else in the world yeah, I don't see Bill Gates feasting on a, uh, an algae and uh, seaweed sandwich too often. Uh, but also, primary school children in Wales now are being introduced to uh, eating insects. They're being given insects to eat now at the schools. The schools are providing for them locusts and mealworms. With the idea that the children there are going to be used as a test case to find out how readily children will accept that. See, the adults not necessarily too enthusiastic about this, but we feed it to the children. They've even noticed that the boys are much more inclined to go for it. Of course, I mean boys, they're boys, right? It's kind of cool. Let's eat bugs, you know. Um, whether they would want to make that a steady diet or not whether they want to fit into the World Economic Forum program of having that and nothing but that to eat, I don't know. But they're willing to try it. So those who are feeding bugs to the children in Wales are actually encouraged. Uh, and then the girls got on board too. I guess following the boys, and the boys ate, the boys, the girls were a little more prudent. They waited to see what happened to the boys. If the boys died, then that wouldn't work. But they saw the boys didn't die. <clears throat> and so the girls decided to try it too. So maybe we, we credit them a little more prudence than the boys. They just wanted to experiment with themselves. But in any case, um, this is uh, kind of a sign of the things to come. Because they've made no, uh, mo no secret of the fact that they want us all to survive on insects. And again, the food shortage right now, the shortage in the food supply, the burning down of uh, food processing uh, plants, the destruction of hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of chicken, chickens and chicken farms. And by the way, our food supply is being sabotaged. It's clear that anybody's paying attention that our food supply is being sabotaged. It's not, a, not an accident. In the war in the Ukraine, is supposed to contribute to that because the Ukraine was always the, uh, the breadbasket, as it were, of Europe. And... Uh, Again, one of the consequences of the uh, Russian-Ukraine uh, war, as it's called, um, is to uh, restrict the food supply. Although now uh, Putin is saying that much of the wheat produce of uh, the wheat product of Ukraine can be can be sent to uh, to Russia, right? So uh, it's kind of curious how that might be working out. One thing's for sure, though, we're being told it's not going to be sent here. 
And uh, so it may well come down to it that we're going to be forced to eat insects. Because they, they demand that we do, demand that we learn to eat them, and we like it. Right? So I thought the news reports out of the primary schools regarding children in those schools in Wales was of interest to us. Something else that is important to us here, too, also, has to do with, um, oh, by the way, just, I, I found out an interesting statistics about insect farms and why it is so beneficial um, that we all accept uh, eating a steady diet of insects. And that is this, that um, insect farms are believed to emit 75% less carbon than traditional livestock, okay? So, uh, I mean, livestock uh, biologically have organs and, you know, uh, livestock emit various, various gases. I'm not sure what, uh, what insects emit, but evidently they think it's 75% less carbon. So, uh, I guess uh, locusts, mealworms, and crickets are, are actually, you know, environment friendly. Um, so, in any way, uh, but with regard to that terrible tragedy of the shooting of the children, 19 children and two uh, teachers at, uh, what is it, Uvalde, Uvalde right? In uh, Uvalde in Texas. Okay, there, there's a lot of somewhat contradictory news reports information coming from that. One of the um, reports said that a teacher had left a door um, unattended, had actually used a rock to prop a door open uh, as he went out to make a phone call and left that door open. And that is how the 18-year-old um, man, boy, person, um, you know, entered the school. But now we're hearing the opposite. Um, just as we heard the opposite to the claim that the local police got right in there and, and you know, did everything they could, we found that they waited more than an hour to actually, um, as it were, enter and um, take out the shooter. And it really wasn't the local police at all. <clears throat> they were evidently following in the wake of the uh, border patrol, the border patrolman who went in um, himself. To, to take this matter in hand. But uh, we, we find now that the teacher who went out to make the phone call uh, did indeed prop the door open with a rod. But when he heard shots being fired in the area, he went in, took the rock out of the door, and closed the door. But the problem is the door did not lock behind him, which is odd. And they're trying to understand why the door did not lock behind him. I gather that it's standard operating procedure, and they did have drills in that school uh, to keep out intruders like that. Uh, by that one door, I guess, I gather it's the only door that the shooter accessed, or, or tried even, uh, happened not to lock. It's very peculiar. So there are a lot of very, very peculiar things about this event. Uh, of course, everything about it is tragic. We know that. Uh, the gun control people um, uh, we don't want to really place any blame so much on the shooter. The, the shooter, well, they, if, they, if they talk about the shooter at all, um, it would be to condemn him as a white supremacist. 
But of course, he was Hispanic, as you know. Um, there are even reports going around that he was a, an illegal alien. I don't know about that. Uh, uh, I, I haven't seen any verification of that. So there are all kinds of stories going around, it, I say, which some of which have not been verified and might be unverifiable. But uh, they place the responsibility on the weapon and the weapon manufacturer, uh, which actually is a very leftist approach to say that we human beings do not have um, uh, free will and that we can't be blamed for the evil we do unless we're conservatives, <laughs> unless we want, want to hold people responsible for the evil they do. That's, that's evil. So um, I have to think we, we see evil in the human soul and in the human mind and the human will. We don't see it in uh, inanimate objects, right? Um, they, they talk about the rampage of this shooter uh, doing what he did and all the, the terrible uh, damage he did, taking the lives of those little ones and their teachers, who are heroic, I understand. And, um, but the fact that they, <clears throat> there were men with guns who refused to stop him, I mean, why blame them then, right? They weren't using guns. They, they would have to go and use these evil guns now. They should have thrown their guns down and say, hey, that's terrible. This gunman is shooting children with these evil guns. We should, we should reject that, and we should throw our guns away immediately. Um, uh, the fact that uh, a border patrolman actually went in there and faced the, you know, the prospect of being fired upon and uh, putting an end to this rampage, and he was using a gun to do it. Uh, the fact is, we can use guns for good or ill, right? And, uh, but the leftists uh, do not want us to think in those terms of the evil, the good or the evil in the human character. They want us to see everything as determined, predetermined, and um, uh, take away the human soul and the human free will. Um, Evil, in other words, is only what opposes them. And whatever serves their purpose, that's good, uh, as far as they're concerned. So uh, it's, it's tragic. By the way, we did ask for prayers for all of those families impacted, for those who died, and for the families who are suffering and losing their children, their, their loved ones. I understand the husband of one of the teachers who died, uh, died a couple of days later of a heart attack. Just, uh, he died of a broken heart, literally. Well, how sad that is, really. And now that leaves four children now, without father or mother. Just within a, a few days, their entire lives have been changed uh, terribly. We need to pray for them, certainly. But somebody uh, evidently contacted you and said we're racist because we asked for prayers for the victims of the shooting in Texas. But we did not ask for prayers for the um, <clears throat> victims of the shooting in Buffalo a, a week before or so, right? That's right. right. What, 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 you got that email. You got that message. Huh? What, was, what was your reaction to that? Uh, well, my initial reaction, Father, was just um, really, I have to say, pity almost. Um, but uh, I just think it's, it's awfully a shame, Father, that, uh, you know, here you are asking for prayers and unity through prayer, and um, we unfortunately have someone who uh, can think of only division and uh, and hatred and, and rage, it seems. And it's just, 
made me think, well, this is exactly what the sh mass shooters have been doing. They're filled with rage and hatred and division. And uh, it seems that this poor um, individual um, shared many of the same, the same traits. And uh, I just thought, Father, how a shame that is really how we're, we're trying to, to spread unity and trying to have prayer and trying to bring people together and uh, this poor individual that's the only thing that they can think of is just division and division of division and this is just typical um, Marxism leftism where it's just really anything at all we can do to divide 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 so you were you were you disturbed by this in such a way that you felt uh, at fault, like you'd somehow failed and you were guilty of oh, no, uh, no. some hidden racist motives, or were you just distressed about this uh, in another way? Were you kind of upset about it? Oh, well, I was upset for their sake, Father. <laughs> that's just, uh, I mean, that's the saddest thing when someone can only think in terms of division in every situation that arises. They, um, it seems, you know, they've been primed by the by the media and, and leftists and everyone else to always seek out some, uh, you know, some way where some individual or some group is, is slighted and it just can only think in terms of division and hatred. Yeah. And well, it's, it's one thing to blame people for shame. what they did. It's another thing to blame them for what they didn't do. Because you can always find something they didn't do. <laughs> you know, if you, there was something that happened 50 years ago and you didn't condemn it or whatever, uh, you can be. They can claim you're a racist, or who knows? You know, just on the basis of that. You know, uh, so. Uh, but these are people who are professional, uh, professional grievance people, right? Yeah. Axe grinders. Yeah. And uh, it's it's sad. You know, I did ask. I personally asked you to place a, a headline on the uh, on our wcbohio.com website asking for prayers. And at the time uh, that I asked you that. I didn't know. <clears throat> I heard that uh, school in Texas had been attacked by a gunman, that children had died, uh, teachers had died, and I didn't know whether these were um, children of white families or black families or uh, Hispanic families. I, di I didn't know at the time. I just knew they were children, and these were families, you know, and it didn't matter to me. I wasn't thinking, well, let's find out if they're black or white or Hispanic, you know, before we decide to pray for them. I just wanted to pray for all those families, regardless, right? Yeah. For their children, for their, their suffering, uh, the survivors. So to read into that some sort of uh, dark motive or, uh, you know, racist motive, that's racist. I mean, the person who wrote that is a racist. It just assumes that we're racist because we asked for prayers for those who are victims of the shooting in Texas and, um, you know, there are a lot of other shootings. We, 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 this is the first time I put a banner uh, headline, asked you to do that, saying, please pray for the families. It's just occurred to me, you know, we can do this on our website, and we should do it, you know. But it's, it certainly wasn't with any malice of forethought to exclude those who had suffered these things before. Uh, I mean, I remember hearing word of these shootings, and I do pray for all of them, regardless when they happen. <laughs> It's just that this seemed to be a, an opportunity to put on our website a request for prayers. Yeah. And uh, I'll continue to do so. And if anybody wants to read into that, uh, what they're reading there is what's in their minds, not in mine. And the fact that it was in the mind of that, that message writer, I think, tells you more, much more about them than it does about you or about me, because it certainly wasn't in your mind, and it certainly wasn't in mine. Yeah. 
You know, it's it's so arrogant of these people too, and make that claim that you're racist, you're racist. Because they have no idea what you and I have done, uh, reaching across you want to call them racial lines uh, to help people. You know, uh, whether they're black, Hispanic, uh, you know, Asian, or any any anyone. You know, we are there, and we've always been willing to help in any way we could anybody who needed our help. Uh, and that's what Christian charity does. It doesn't really even think in terms of. Um, you know, do I want to help this person because of this or because of that? Um, because they're on the other side of the tracks or across the river in Kentucky. <laughs> we, we did, Catholics don't think like that, but leftists do. And that's why you got that email, I believe, because that's what you're dealing with. And it is sad. It's sad that people are of that mindset. And um, I found myself praying for the person who wrote the email. You probably did, too. Unfortunately, their name is Legion now. There's so many who think exactly like that. They've been trained to think that way. Sad to say, but by the grace of God, they can overcome that, right? But you had other things in your mind tonight, too, right? Well, I did, Father. We, uh, you know, we've been talking a lot lately about the abortion issue. Um, it's definitely been something in the news with the uh, mm. Supreme Court draft of uh, the uh, discussing the Roe v. Wade case and the possible overturning of that, mm. and uh, <clears throat> we've kind of been been mentioning that a lot lately. And I know you've you've made talking about uh, Justice Samuel Alito's yeah. uh, leaked draft, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, which was kind of set a firestorm. By the way, I understand that uh, they're turning up the efforts now to try to narrow down who it was yeah. you know, who leaked that. Yeah. Be interesting to find out. Needless to say, but. Uh, you wanted to focus on that, that whole question. Well, yeah, Father, because, I mean, you've, you've been making the point recently, and rightly so, that this really is the issue of our, uh, of our time right now, and we can really trace the, uh, trace, uh, really the sharp <laughs> decline of our country back to this Roe v. Wade decision. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I thought it might be helpful, Father, if we could just go through some of the, um, some of the, the most common talking points and, and arguments that we hear um, in, in favor of abortion, if you could... Uh, possibly refute some of those for us and just give us a uh, some kind of uh, ammunition of sorts that, that we could use since this is such a prevalent topic today. I know so many of our viewers, you know, enter into discussions um, about this abortion issue. And so I thought this program could perhaps be a good uh, reference tool mm. for them to come back to. But um, I thought we could start, Father, with uh, perhaps uh, one of the more, um, one of the more common arguments that we hear in favor of abortion is that uh, the fetus uh, in the mother's womb is not actually a child. Uh, we're told that it's simply a, a clump of cells or uh, just some kind of growth within the mother's body, and it's not actually a human at all. There is no human life there, and so subsequently there is no issue with, uh, with, with aborting that growth or clump of cells or, or uh, massive tissue or whatever uh, other euphemism, I guess, it, uh, it is called. But how would you, how should one respond to that, Father, that this fetus is not actually a human life, and therefore we can abort that. Well, you know, one, one can uh, invoke religion, faith. Uh, nowadays we're told, um, follow the science, right? Science. And that's the new religion there. If um, people really did follow the science, and they were honest about that, they would face the, the fact, the undeniable fact, this is a human being. They, they there are tumors that develop in the body, okay? 
there are clumps of cells that may, you know, come from various uh, pathologies in the body. But this is the result of fertilization. That's a unique process, okay? Fertilization of the egg by the, you know, element, the male element there. And they fuse instantaneously and they form a new human being with very, uh, with utterly unique DNA, right? Unique to the entire race of mankind, past, present, future, right? And identifiably human. There's just no way around that. They can deny it all they want. But uh, if somebody says that a fetus is not a human life, then you'd, you'd almost have to ask them, well, what makes life a human life to you? Okay, Because everybody has his own definition now. Well, they're just kind of basically following the Supreme Court ruling Roe versus Wade, uh, authored by Blackman, which is utter nonsense and, and has become... Uh, more and more nonsensical as time has gone on in the sense that science, true scientific uh, research has shown the humanity of the child before birth, even from the moment of conception. There's no doubt. Biologically, biologically this is human. Okay? Now, they've had to reject that whole idea of you're biologically human. <clears throat> They're trying to reject the whole idea whether you're biologically male or female. But that all goes back to the idea of denying the biological humanity of the child, even when it is, you know, a zygote or a single, single cell uh, being, as we all start out. We all start out that way. Um, the fact is, though, I mean, they're lying to themselves when they say that. And there, there are pro-abortion people who come out and said so. They've said, look, we're making ourselves look really, really foolish. We're making ourselves look, look stupid by denying the fact that this is human, that this is a human being, this human life here. Because everybody knows that. We're, we're actually making ourselves look dishonest by that. Uh, we should stop trying to use that argument that it's not human. <clears throat> now, I give those pro-abortion people credit for at least saying, okay, uh, let's drop the, uh, the old lie because it's not really working anymore. And it really makes us look just downright stupid, okay? Let's admit it's human, okay? Say it's a human life, but not all human life is created equal. That's where they want to go from there. The fact is, it is human life, and that's exactly why they need to abort it. I've mentioned that before. You know, the reason why the, this, this particular group of cells growing within the woman's body, nourished by her, depending on her for life, and the reason why this has to be terminated, and there's an urgency to get it done, is because it is human. And uh, because this is a human life, it carries with it responsibilities. Responsibilities that they don't want. The mother doesn't want to be responsible for this child. The moment will come if the child is allowed to develop normally and naturally, <laughs> then the, that the law will recognize this as a child, as a human life, for whom she is responsible. Therefore, she has to destroy that life before she is legally responsible for it. That's the whole driving point of abortion right now. 
And uh, I mean, I, I would use his exhibit A, B, C, or D, whatever. What happened right here in Cincinnati? Never here in Ohio. You know, when, when COVID came, um, the health director um, here in Ohio, uh, you know, basically put the clamps on any elective surgeries and other procedures, you know. And, uh, but the elective surgeries would have included abortion. And so the pro-lifers were arguing, well, okay, you're saying we're terminating, so to speak, elective surgeries or putting them all on hold until this COVID danger passes because COVID represents danger and elective surgery uh, risks, puts, puts people at risk. And uh, so the abortionists actually went to the courts and got, a, I think, a restraining order or a, uh, an injunction against that. And they were insisting that abortion is not your normal elective surgery. So they were actually singling it out. They wanted it to be labeled now as an essential service rather than elective surgery. And a federal judge agreed with them, okay? Gave them the injunction. And so abortions continue to pace, even though cancer surgeries and all the rest of those, you know, that were not considered, let's say, life-threatening cancers, and even, even screenings for cancer didn't happen. So people developed cancers and they didn't even know it during this time. That was okay. But abortions had to continue because there's a human life developing there. And it has to be stopped before it gets to the point where it can't be stopped, where suddenly there is what is recognized by law, a human life, and there's a responsibility for it. So, I mean, the abortionists, the pro-lifers, I mean, it's, it's very clear that everyone knows that this is a human life. Mm -hmm. Biologically, scientifically, this is human life. Now, if they're existentialists, and I suppose many of them are, uh, like Jean-Paul Sartre, the, the atheist existentialist, who says it is the use of your will that makes you human. Because by the use of your will, you create your own humanity. Kind of a novel idea, at least it was at the time. In fact, it's insane. Um, it would render anybody who doesn't have use of his own will non-human. So someone who cannot use his own will and determine his own, his own fate is not human. We're human by degrees to the extent that we can use our will to create our own humanity. So Jean-Paul Sartre says that uh, the drunk lying in the gutter, if he chooses to be a drunk lying in the gutter, using his will to do that because of his choice, is more human than a leader of nations who is not free to do as he pleases. So the more responsibility you have the less free you are to make decisions, you know, on your own right, and the less human you are. Well, this would make, of course, a child until the child is emancipated and has the use of his own will to determine his own course, less than human, right? Yeah. Uh, this would make uh, a slave who's bound in slavery. The slave is less than human because he doesn't have that self-determination power of his will. Um, somebody, let's say, is up in years and gets dementia or well, whatever, is less human because he doesn't have the power to use his will. Uh, so this is where we get the idea of more human and less human.
But this is where the abortionists have gone now, and that basically uh, is probably where you're going with this, that some lives are less human and less valuable than others, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, Father, you are um, definitely right. We see that more and more now that they, the abortionists have, I think, um, definitely, in fact, moved away from that argument of, uh, you know, that the fetus is not a human life. I mean, you, I think, rarely even hear that now. It's just they've uh, kind of positioned to this new, uh, this new argument that while some lives have more value than others, and they say the mother's life uh, has, her, her life has more value than that, that child's life um, that, that's growing yeah. in her womb. But, um, you know, Father, what, what is wrong with that idea, though, some lives being more valuable than others? I mean, we have things like, um, like secret servicemen who are ready and willing to sacrifice their life to protect, say, a, a president or a senator or something. So doesn't that imply that, uh, you know, that senator, that president, his life is more valuable than, say, his his bodyguard or a secret service agent who's following him around. Is there any well, any truth to that at all? You know, soldiers go into battle too, and they risk their lives as well, right? Uh, our police and firemen, we talked about the shooting of the children down in Texas. We talked about those local law enforcement people who were told to stand down, basically, and not go in. It's not to protect those children's lives because they might be in danger of being shot at, yeah. right? Uh, so they made a conscious decision to say that my life is essentially more important than this children's lives. Uh, maybe that was implicit, maybe it wasn't conscious, but it's, it is certainly implicit in that. But, you know, those who make these decisions, for, ex for example, a soldier is going to battle, okay? Uh, firefighters, uh, um, uh, police officers, and so on. What, what they're saying is not, not necessarily that my life is less valuable than the other life. They, they may be saying, well, I'm risking my life to save them from certain death, generally. Or I'm, I'm, I'm putting my life at risk in order to uh, save them from whatever danger they're in. So it's basically a, a matter of, of, of risk, in a sense, risk management. Um, would a firefighter uh, go into a burning building with the idea, well, I know I'm going to go in there and die with everybody else. There's no hope of saving anyone, anybody. Anyway, I'm just going to go in there and die. Well, that's not their idea. Uh, nor were the police officers saying, well, okay, there are people getting, being, being injured and, and dying there. I'm just going to go in and die with them because uh, there's nothing I can do to save them. No, what they're trying to do is use their training, right, to save them both. That's their objective, right? So they're not actually, uh, you know, weighing the value of one life against another. <clears throat> On the other hand, secret servicemen might say, okay, well, um, I, would, I would put my life in danger for, let's say, the President of the United States because this is a service to my country. And yes, I'm called by the virtue of piety, the fourth commandment, sometimes to place my life at risk for my country's sake. Um, you know, a, a parent would risk his or her life, well, literally in a heartbeat, for a child, right? This is very natural. It can be supernatural, actually, love, uh, hopefully, for the child. And uh, this is as it should be, right? That the parent would love the child that much to put himself or her, herself at risk and uh, maybe even grave danger of dying for the child. Um, this is not a comparison of whose life is worth more. Um, you know, after all, our, our Lord, the Son of God, came to earth, took a human life, gave it on the cross for us in agony and, and obedience to the Father. And uh, he wasn't saying that my life is um, of less value 
than yours, actually, that the, the crucifixion and death of our Lord of the cross was really, that it, the fact is his life was about more value than all of our lives put together, and yet he gave that life. But it was all for the sake of everlasting life. So, uh, you know, as Catholics, again, we look at this not in terms simply uh, uh, pagans as though this is the only life you get, uh, preserve it at all costs, uh, but we look beyond that and we look to uh, matters of faith, hope, and charity and self-sacrifice. We have the example of our Lord and we see the reward of everlasting life. Uh, that changes everything. That, that, that affects everything. That affects the mentality of a Catholic soldier who really is practicing his faith, going into battle. That affects anyone who would be of service to others, who are willing to lay down their lives. Our Lord said it. Greater love than this no man hath, that he lay down his life for his loved ones, right? And uh, so it's not a matter of saying, my life is worth more than yours. It's just that uh, <clears throat> if I can place my, myself even, even at risk for your sake, I leave that in God's hands, but I'm going to do what I can to save you. And uh, I commend myself into, into God's hands over that. But I just pray, hope and pray that that act of charity will, uh, you know, obtain God's mercy for me and hopefully everlasting life. Okay. It's a very different matter than a woman saying, this baby, because it is a baby, now growing in my womb at my invitation, 99.999% of the time, <clears throat> at my invitation, uh, this baby is a human being, it is my child, but it has a human life that is not worth my life. And so, um, yes, I could have uh, give birth to this baby, take responsibility for this baby, raise this baby, and to have a life of his or her own, and still continue my own life and carry on. And maybe it's not going to be the life that I had in mind, Maybe I won't get that PhD or that master's degree and whatever and, and have this fabulous career <clears throat> on Wall Street or wherever else. <clears throat> um, but still, you know, I can't sacrifice my child's life for the sake of a career on Wall Street. That would not be right. You know, you know Tom, there was a time <clears throat> when fathers were actually blamed by their wives the mothers of their children, were neglecting the children because the fathers were so taken up with work, so taken up with their careers, that the fathers had little time for the children. Uh, you know, they wouldn't go to their ball games, they wouldn't go to their the piano recitals, they wouldn't, because the fathers had all these meetings and they were busy, um, <clears throat> basically pursuing a separate life from their families, and the mothers resented that. I mean, there were divorces that would happen over that because women would be so upset that they, the, the father, the kids were growing up basically orphaned in the sense that they had no active fathers in their lives. Okay, now the mothers are, are sacrificing their child's lives, paying someone to murder them, because they want to get this college degree, because they want to get this training, they want to become traders, uh, uh, you know, uh, financiers or whatever else. They want this career in fashion or medicine or whatever it is they want. And uh, there was a time when women universally found fault with the men for acting this way, and now the women are acting, they're going far beyond anything the men did. Uh, the women are willing to kill the children. Imagine, imagine in the old days, a father saying, uh, look, honey, you know, I just can't be bothered, okay? This, this child <clears throat> just takes too much time, and I have other things, better things to do with my life, okay? So yeah. Back off, leave me alone, let me pursue my own life, my own way, my own career. I'm, I'm earning good money for you, that you should be happy with that. 
Um, well, how does that even compare with someone saying, look, th this child really is, is a real problem. It takes too much responsibility, so let's just kill it. <laughs> well, this is what the women are doing now. And we're supposed to say, this is their sacred right. And uh, they defend it with such rage, and they defend it with such rage, uh, because it is a hellish thing, and, this, and rage is a hellish thing. Abortion is a hellish thing, and they will defend it uh, with all the, the rage of hell. They will defend it, but it's evil. And, uh, but this is what women do, and it all gets back to their idea that some lives are more human than others. Well, I mean, they, 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 they join the, the ranks of Hitler. They join the ranks of Mao Zedong. They join the ranks of Joseph Stalin. They're in the same ranks as these people because they all had the same idea. Some lives are more human than others, are worth more than others. Some lives are meant to be in the Communist Party, like Molotov and so on, with, uh, uh, with uh, Stalin whining and dining with him, whereas millions of other lives wound up in Siberia or Kolyma, freezing to death in the, in the mines there, just because of what their lives were worth to Joseph Stalin. Uh, 20 million people uh, have died for the glory of the hammer and sickle in China. Uh, but, but why would Mao Zedong boast of that? It was a real bargain. It was, it was a real good thing to do. Destroy those 20 million lives for the sake of establishing communism in China. And that's the only way you can establish communism. By rivers of blood, millions of lives being taken and destroyed. That's the only way you can, do, you can uh, have a communist society. It's all built on destruction. Mass destruction of human life. It is all built on the idea that there are some lives that are meant to be used as cannon fodder. There are lives that are more worthy than others. And when a woman says that, she's echoing Hitler. She's echoing. It may be her voice, but it, these are the words of Hitler, the words of Mao Zedong, the words of Pol Pot, the words of every tyrant who's ever lived. Their lives are only worth only insofar as much as they can do to serve me and my power. Mm -hmm. You know, Father, there's a related argument where um, one perhaps doesn't say that, you know, my personal life is more valuable than, than the, the, the other life, but uh, we often hear this phrase, my body, my choice, mm -hmm. um, where, you know, a, a woman says that uh, she has rights over her own body, she has bodily autonomy, and this... Um, this child growing in her womb is, uh, you know, attempting to usurp those rights and infringe upon her rights. And so, um, being that she has, you know, self-autonomy, she has every right to expel this child uh, from her womb just to get rid of this child because that child is infringing upon her personal rights. And I think that's kind of summed up in the my body, my choice. Oh, this, is, this is the big chant right yes. now. Oh, yeah, yeah. How, how does one respond to that? Part? Well, it's, it's, it's uh, mindless. And uh, again, it, it, but... It, when I say mindless, it's, it's irrational, even anti-rational, because it's all based on a lie, okay? That's not her body. The child she's consumed is not her. The child she's conceived is not her body. It's not. Again, we're talking about biologically, it's not her body. Um, again, in terms of faith, that uh, dis very distinct body of the child uh, has its own human soul created immediately by God, and that is another person. That is a distinct person. Um, as I say, 99.99% of the time, she has invited that person into her body. She, she has 
created this the situation whereby that that child is conceived in her body. Um, you know, imagine having a house guest and you say, "Well, I changed my mind. Uh, I don't want you here, so I'm going to kill you." You know, uh, I don't think that would even today, by today's standards, <laughs> would fly, right? <laughs> Um, but, uh, you know, there are those who claim they're, they're, they're subject to violence and they've conceived a child as a result of that violence. How, <clears throat> how often that actually occurs, I don't know. Yeah. Okay? It's hard to tell because you, you really can't trust the word of those who would do something like this. Yeah. Does it happen? Yes, it does happen. Sad to say, and it's tragic. <clears throat> but that doesn't mean that the, the child conceived is guilty of anything at all. That child is perfectly innocent. And uh, again, to directly destroy an innocent life is murder. Uh, it doesn't make the woman any less guilty of murder. The fact that she is guil- has been the victim of violence, now she turns that violence upon that innocent child to destroy that child's life. Yes, the person who violated her is guilty of one crime, but now she turns around and she's guilty of murder. That's all it is. It's mur- guilty of murder. Um, you know, one might say, look, somebody chained up uh, is holding captive somebody in my house. I don't want them there, so I'm going to want to kill the captive. Uh, they might say, well, you know, they're there. Not, I don't want them there. Somebody else put them there. Uh, I don't want them there, so I, I can go in and I can actually burn them out or I can, I can, I can shoot them to death just because they're, they're where I don't want them. This is very inconvenient for me. Is it an exact analogy? No, all analogies limp. But still, I mean, along the, the lines of thinking there, I, I think you could probably justify something like that on the basis of the same argument. The fact is, this is her child. She's conceived this child. And uh, even on the, the rare, relatively rare occasions when she is not at fault or it's not her choice to do so, even contrary to her to will to have this child, she has a child. And... Um, you know, I mean, why, why couldn't a woman by the same token, um, you know, say, look, you know, here we are in war. I find this, this orphaned child. I'm trying to take care of this child, but this child is not only a, um, <clears throat> an encumbrance to me in war, but this child actually is a danger to me. Here I found this child abandoned. I'm carrying this child. And, um, you know, the enemy might find me because this child cries. So I'll strangle the child. I'll strangle the child to keep the child from crying so I won't be discovered by the enemy and put to death. Um, I mean, that's an extreme case. Would it be right to do that? Can she strangle the child though, to keep the child silent? Would that be murder to do that? Of course it would be. There are those today who would say it wouldn't. No, they would justify it. Mm-hmm. And so they justify this. Yeah. But there is no justification for it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's still murder. Uh, and it's not their body at all, and they need to be told to stop lying about it. It's not their body. They know it's not their body, and yes, they are responsible for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, they've got to um, either uh, give a, they've given the child life. They've got to preserve that life. If they want to give the child for adoption to someone who will love the child and care for the child, fine. But the, the option they have no option to kill the child. That would be murder, and they should be held accountable for that. Mm-hmm. Father, another argument that we uh, sometimes hear is, um, you know, perhaps it will even be admitted that this this is a human life growing in the mother's womb, but they will say, uh, you know, that this this mother, for whatever reason, is in, in very poor circumstances, and uh, if this child were to uh, actually be born into the world, they would have 
very face a very dire situation. Uh, perhaps their the, the mother is in abject poverty, has no means of, of caring for this uh, for this child, and so perhaps Father, it would be better just to um, you know perform an abortion so that this poor child does not have to face a life like that with this kind of very very bleak circumstances. And there are even those um, who who say now. Um, that you know, having abortion, ab aborting these the, in these types of situation, that it actually it lowers the crime rate because those in, in this kind of you know abject poverty, you know, they're very, they they tend to criminal activity, um, so it lowers the the crime rate. It's good for the economy to kind of get rid of uh, of, of people like this. And um, so, how how would you respond to that? Well, you're actually asking a few different questions here. One of them, isn't it better for the child for the child to be aborted? Uh, isn't it better for society that the child be aborted, right? Uh, so, cui bono, to, for, for, to whose good does it serve, you know? The question about whether it serves the good of the child, um, you know, you're, you're asking an age-old question here. It, wouldn't it be better if this was done? Well, again, when we're using the word better, that's the comparative of good. We're talking about good, better, and best. So when we talk about the prospect of a child growing up in poverty, not having enough food, clothing, and shelter to live decently, living a, a miserable life of want, uh, is that a good? So we're not talking about good, better, best here. But we're talking about the alternative of aborting the child, of murdering the child, in order to prevent the child from growing up under these circumstances. Are we talking about something good? We're talking about something bad, aren't we? We're talking about, in all of these things, we're talking about something bad. And so the question is not good, better, best. The question is, bad, worse, and worst. So the question is, wouldn't it be better this, if this we were to do this, kill the child rather than let it grow up in poverty? The question is, what would be worse? Would it be worse to let the child be born and give the child, the child already has life, you've already given the life in the womb, but to let the child live to be born and then live, yes, possibly in poverty. There have been many children who've grown up in poverty who have enriched the whole world with their art, their science, engineering, their discovery, their, their virtue, becoming saints, um, and they grow up in dire poverty. So who on earth has the right to predict you know, the, the future of, of this child's life? Um, <clears throat> there are children who were born into poverty and actually by dint of hard work and faith and uh, <clears throat> and uh, just all kinds of, of virtues, they manage not only to, to raise themselves up, but they raise everybody up around them, too. Um, and so, you know, it takes a lot of arrogance for somebody to say, oh, well, they're going to be raised in poverty, there's nothing they can do, they can't escape it, so let's kill them now. Uh, which is worse, then, to give them a chance <clears throat> to better themselves, to have life, to live that life, and to make of it what they can by the grace of God, or would it be better to catch them in the womb and to inject a saline solution that'll burn them to death? Why don't we just incinerate them in the womb? Why don't we just put kind of a flamethrower in the womb to incinerate them in the womb, like the, with this saline solution, we burn them up? Why don't we tear them limb from limb in the womb, rip them apart, and then reach in with forceps and crush their skulls and pull them out piece by piece? Which would be worse? Well, which would be worse? <clears throat> that we murder them now in order to prevent them from having a, a life outside the womb again, and uh, to become the people that they, they can become, you know. Um, I think most people who have any sense at all would say, well, obviously it's worse to 
to crush them to death, to burn them to death, as babies, rather than, you know, get them a chance to live and to try to grow and to grow up and, um, you know, see what by the grace of God they can make of their lives. Uh, no, definitely, when you're talking about bad, worse, and worst, that would be the worst thing you can do to the child. Um, so, uh, I don't care how dire the circumstances may be, there's, there's nothing worse than saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher this child here and uh, end this child's life because I think this child is going to have a, a difficult and sad life. Uh, so I'm going to terminate this child's life right now. Mm-hmm. What arrogance is that? I mean, that is, that is like the, the, the well, I mean, it's just so horrible to think about. Yeah. Um, it's sort of like making, uh, proclaiming Satan God, <laughs> the prince of this world. Let's handle things. Let's do it his way. And anyway, um, you know, you mentioned also the idea of uh, crime. The the crime rate goes down uh, thanks to abortion. Uh, The economy prospers from it. You know, these are things that you might have heard said recently by people high up in government. I I don't know. I I think one of the former uh, heads of the Federal Reserve was even saying that abortion is really good for the economy. how do they know that? You know, how do they know what the economy would be without abortion? Where can they? Where do they have any any evidence to show that aborting these children has actually prospered the economy, except for Planned Parenthood, which has gotten rich off this, um, and others who may be, uh, let's say, enriching themselves um, at the expense of the lives of these children. Uh, although I, I don't know what evidence there is for that, even because they have to carry a hor- horrible burden around with them for the rest of their lives too, if they have any conscience left. But uh, the fact is, if you look back in history, the reduction in population has never benefited the economy, and uh, quite the contrary. I mean, here we are right now in this COVID business where we have uh, uh, tremendous lack of workers. And uh, the economy is feeling that right now. It's, 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 it's crippling the economy. The lack of, of workers who are willing to get in there and, and roll up their sleeves and get to work. Uh, this is absolutely an effect of the lockdowns that have been inflicted upon society. And it's been horrible on the economy. On the economy. And so it is with the murder of all these children in abortion. It, it has been a, a, a stranglehold on the economy. We're missing all of these uh, willing workers and uh, gifted people um, who could be contributing to the economy, for, even from a natural point of view. Uh, now they're talking about the population bomb, that there are populations in the world of entire nations that are not able to replace themselves. The populations are aging. They have a, a dwindling younger population to support the older population who are becoming more and more debilitated. So they're talking about this being like an economic bomb going off in the world, where in a matter of a generation or two or three, um, <clears throat> the number of elderly will be so, it'll be, it'll be so top-heavy, as it were, uh, that the younger people are, are not going to be able to support this by any social welfare programs. And um, so they're talking about the dire situation facing the whole world right now. So this argument from a, 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 an official who has such control over the global uh, economy is very troublesome. Makes you realize these people have very false principles 
And if we let them have a, uh, a controlling voice over our economy, we're in serious trouble. I was just reading where John Maynard Keynes, who was like the, the dark angel of the modern economic theory, was actually an out-and-out communist. He was an out-and-out socialist, that's true, but he was also an out-and-out communist. And, uh, you know, there's plenty of evidence to establish that, too, to prove that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, and, and with regard to the crime rate, well, one could say, well, okay, you know, there's a disproportionate number of criminals who wind up in our criminal justice system, imprisoned in our jails, who come from broken families, uh, homes which, you know, we would have expected that they'd, their parents would have aborted them. <laughs> These, they're coming from poverty, um, they're coming from strife and, uh, and violence, and there's a disproportionate number of those people who are coming from that background and getting, uh, winding up as criminals uh, in our jails. So imagine what it would be if we hadn't aborted the worst of them, uh, the ones who were least wanted, the one who would maybe had grown up with the most violence and the, the greatest poverty. Thank goodness they're gone. Because perhaps rather than being a, you know, I, I don't know what the number is, let's say 25% of those, I'm just guessing, okay, but that's a figure I heard some time ago, <clears throat> of those who are... Uh, what was it? That those who come from backgrounds like that are 25% to maybe 100% more likely, twice as likely, to wind up in, the, in jail, right? So uh, what would the crime rate be, be, be like if we had allowed those millions and millions of children who were not wanted to live? And uh, how many would we now have jailed? You know? Well, <clears throat> you know, that, that's all uh, fine and good. <laughs> then you realize... You know what they're saying? They're saying that we should actually uh, eliminate people because we think that they have a higher likelihood of, of uh, falling into crime. And so we should just kill them in the womb just to make sure they don't become criminals. Uh, we might say that, gee, you know, the children who grow up under these circumstances are uh, maybe uh, three times as likely to wind up breaking the law, committing felonies, and being criminal. So let's kill them all who are growing up in those circumstances. Abort them all. Why not? If that's the consideration to lower the crime rate, hey, maybe we can eliminate crime that way. Just eliminate all those who are unwanted children. Make the crime rate go away. Does that make sense? No. It's nonsense. The whole argument is complete. It's, It's monstrous to argue this. And the fact that people are saying this, they're not even arguing whether the child is a child, they're just saying these people need to be eliminated. For the good of the economy, for the good of the crime rate, these people need to be eliminated. They're monsters. And, and using that as some kind of an argument uh, that it doesn't even take into consideration whether they're human beings or not. Yeah. We're better off that they were killed. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, Tom, uh, you probably have a number of other Things you want? I don't know if you want to bring them up later, or you want to uh, maybe, bring them up now. You're maybe, welcome to do either one. Maybe, maybe just one more, Father. Um, you know, because there are there are those who will say, uh, you know, look, Father Jenkins. No matter how many uh, great convincing arguments you you make up here on the show, there will always be women who seek out abortions. Um, there will there will always always be abortions taking place. But 
by you, you know, stigmatizing abortions and, you know, attaching this very negative stigma to them, uh, that, that kind of forces these women to seek out these, these so-called back alley abortions where, you know, it's very, very dangerous and uh, they're not done in a, in a, a truly uh, medical setting. And so they're, they're much, much more dangerous and uh, much more harmful to both the, the mother and, and the child. And so actually, Father, you are, um, you know, putting more lives in danger um, of not only the, the, the children who are being aborted, but also their mothers by what you're doing and, you know, kind of stigmatizing abortion. How would you respond to that? Well, I'd say murder is a bit of a stigma. At least I hope so. I would hate to think that murder would no longer have a certain stigma attached to it, right? So if you want to call it stigmatizing, it, uh, you call it what you want, right? Uh, stigma means like a mark, right? And there is a mark, uh, an evil mark, uh, because of murder, yeah. right? Um, hopefully on the conscience, to spur the conscience. Uh, I thought what you said was rather quaint, you know, that uh, forcing a woman to go for an abortion to like a back alley abortion puts her and the child at, at more risk. Well, how could it put the child at more <laughs> risk? You know, rather than going to a profession, professional to murder the child, you're going to an amateur. <laughs> that doesn't really necessarily put the child any more in danger. Uh, you might say it, it puts the mother in danger um, more. But, I mean, uh, again, uh, there were women back in the old days who would resort to that. It's true. But as long as abortion had the stigma, as it were, of murder, there were women who would never do that. They would not do that. Even if they thought they could get away with it. They just realized it's wrong to do that. And, um, you know, this is my child. I'm going to care for my child love my child, and uh, take that responsibility for my child. You know, again, along the same lines, the, uh, there are women who say, well, abortion makes us equal, right? It's a great equalizer. But that's what they say about guns, too. They always said guns were the great equalizer, you know? Women, uh, I, I, you know, I'm sorry, but that's, that's what they said. And now, of course, guns are the enemy. You know? Unless you're a woman who wants uh, an equalizer, you know? Um, <clears throat> But the fact is that um, it makes one equally irresponsible. And if you're talking about the irresponsibility of men to fail to take responsibility, to care for their wives and their children, and you say that's wrong, if you say that's wrong, if you have a feminist woman who says, men are no good, they're rotten, can't count on them, you know, they stab you in the back, they... They use you and throw you away. They don't take responsibility. So we need to be able to make women equal, meaning we need to be able to make women equally irresponsible. And so we need to give women birth control so they don't have to have responsibility for a child because we can't count on the men being responsible and uh, taking care of their wives and children. So we need to get up somehow away from that responsibility ourselves that'll make us equal to the men. We need to be able to, if we conceive a child, put that child to death. We need to kill that child, get rid of that child, to be, have real equality with irresponsible men. We need to be ir equally irresponsible with them. Again, one of these women is saying, you know, uh, they're actually condemning themselves out of their own mouths. And I think if you talk to uh, feminist women, they would have a real animus against men and probably have... And, and, and probably for good reason, probably for the men they've known, uh, maybe they have been, you know, just absolute gigolos and uh, self-seeking, arrogant, and users, and abusers, and maybe that's how these women were raised, 
with fathers like that, with brothers like that, with boyfriends like that, who knows? But in saying, look, we need to be equal to those men, if they're saying, look, these are the way men, this is the way men are, and uh, we condemn their irresponsibility and their mentality, and we want to be just like them, and we want the tools necessary to act just like them so that we don't have the responsibility for, for these things, well, they're condemning themselves out of their own mouths. You know, in the old days, when, even when you had a man who was a total, total wake, a rake, a total rake, a total washout, uh, you know, a total failure as a father, a total failure as, as a husband, um, completely selfish and irresponsible, the children at least had their mother. They at least had their mother's love. And how many, how many children have grown up with that? And maybe only that, because of the way their fathers were. Uh, basically, orphaned by their fathers, they had their mother's love to raise them. And there are mothers who did a very, very good job of raising good kids. And, and you know, you hear this from uh, young men and women, even to this day sometimes, about how they really love and admire their moms who stood who basically stepped up and gave them a father's love and a mother's love and raised them, you know, with such uh, selflessness. It inspired them. And uh, so many of the children coming from that situation actually accomplished great things. Um, and uh, they, inspired by the love of a parent who devoted himself or, or herself to the children so much, uh, those who are inspired by such a parent go on to inspire others, too. Um, but now, through abortion, the leftists have basically taken that away from the children, too. So what have they got left? What have they got left through uh, the birth control pill to avoid having, having them in the first place, giving them life in the first place, to uh, divorce, which rips their families apart and destroys their allegiances and confuses their love? Um, and, and even the sense of what it is to be loved. And on top of that, then, the power of abortion to put the children to death. Uh, now, who, who do the ch child children have as their advocate? The government? Who's left? Government services? The government makes a terrible parent. Big brother becomes, well, nanny, you know, the nanny state. Uh, well, God help the population who's being raised by the government, mm -hmm. right? So in any case, uh, but abortion is all part of that. And women say, well, we want to be equal with men. And the women who are saying that often hate men. So when they say they want to be equal with men, they want to become basically equivalent to what they, what they hate. Mm -hmm. and, and they succeed, and they become very hateful. You can see that in their rage. So, uh, you know, there's only one solution for this, Tom, and that, that's faith, hope, and charity. <laughs> you, you know, uh, you have to uh, try to somehow get through all of that, that rage of theirs, that firestorm of rage to, you know, make them realize that uh, uh, they have souls and they're, you know, they, are, they are loved. Um, to somehow break through that with the fire of divine love to make them realize that. But only grace can really break through that. Only divine grace can do it. 
So we have to, number one, pray for them. Okay, that was your first reaction with the email writer. And that was the right reaction. That's a Catholic reaction. Pray for them, incessantly pray for them. And one of the most important things we, we can do is to offer for them the very hate they throw at us. In other words, when you're at an, uh, at an abortion clinic or when you're being faced down by a, by a uh, let's say, a, a flock uh, or a, uh, a battalion of, uh, of furies or harpies uh, screaming at you, these insanities, just full of rage and spite, you know. Uh, an exorcist said that the worst part of an exorcism was coming face to face with something that absolutely hates you and wants to annihilate you. Well, those who've actually stood on those front lines and faced the abortionists, they know what that's like. It really is like the fire of hell there. <clears throat> there, there really is hatred there. And, but we can actually not succumb to it. Uh, we can not react to it, we can respond to it but you respond to it as a Catholic, by basically offering up all of that abuse very patiently and resolutely for them. You know, it's taking all of that hatred and venom they're throwing at you and basically sending it back to them, but in a very different way. Uh, kind of transforming it by your faith, your hope, and your charity. Uh, you can be offering that to God for them and thus bringing graces upon them that are, as St. Paul says, like heaping coals of fire upon their head. <laughs> That's what he says. You heard it. You know that he said that. So I think it's very important that we not only pray for them, um, and when I say that, I, I don't mean just pray for whatever we think about it. I think we have a, should have a very definite program of praying for them continually. But I think we also need to always have that approach that whenever we're going to be confronted by them or confront them, we are going to confront them not with uh, counter our own brand of rage, uh, not to meet their rage with our rage, um, um, but rather to go in to any such engagement or confrontation with the idea that we're going to, as greatest patience we can, we ask God for that grace of patience, to endure all of the abuse precisely with the idea of offering it up for them. I think that's about the only sacrifice that we really have available to us that really has the power to overcome their rage, transform them. So, is it worth doing? Yes, definitely. Right. Let's do it. Well, Father, thanks for being here tonight. I appreciate your time. Appreciate you going through all of this. Hopefully, our viewers find it of, uh, of some help. Um, so I well, I certainly that. hope so, Tom. Thank, thank you. you uh, yeah. Thank you for your time, and I appreciate all that you do. God bless you. Father. Well, thank you, Tom. God bless you all, and all of our viewers too. Yep. Thanks to all of our viewers for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady at Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and to pray and do penance. Thank you, and God bless you.